Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig and today we're joined by Chris Quinn, the Chief Executive of Foodstuffs North Island. Hi, Chris. Kia ora. How are you? Very well, thank you. Just in the interest of full disclosure, we should mention that Foodstuffs North Island is a member of the New Zealand Initiative and you are in fact on our board. But today we want to talk about your latest press release because this week you highlighted the problem of retail crime in New Zealand. You issued a press release with some really startling figures about retail crime, the things that your staff, your people encounter on a daily basis these days. And the first question I have for you, Chris, is actually, is this the first time that Foodstuffs has actually published these figures? Thanks, Oliver. And yes, look, it is the first time because I guess, you know, we would have commented in a number of different places that we're really worried about this issue. You know, our, our business is a cooperative. Every one of our stores is owned by a family and a community. They see all sides of that community. They they see the people they employ. They see the retail crime that's occurring in their store. They see the local police and community. So they're very, this is very real and very connected for them. And they see the risk and the abuse and the harm and the sometimes, sadly, the violence and, and assault that occurs to their team members. And, you know, at, at one level, it's just not the New Zealand that anyone expected nor would accept. At another level, we have a duty to all of those people, our staff and our customers, to have them able to shop safely in New Zealand. And it's sort of almost a little bit scary just to say that sentence. You know, it's not what you would expect. The numbers that we see, and this is why we said, well, let's start with facts, because there's been a lot of talk about reporting versus reality and all of those things. We would say the anecdotal information really made us feel there was more than ever. So we went and got the facts, and there is more than ever. And you would have a lot of data, I assume. I mean, we all hear about the anecdotal stories about the Michael Hill RAM rates, but Michael mm -hmm. Hill has, I don't know how many, 40, 50 stores perhaps. You have how many? So I think Michael Hill's about 34. And, you know, across the North Island, we are about 320. Right. So you so, would actually have a lot more data to go by. Yeah. Can you talk us through some of the data? So what do you see for shoplifting? What do you see for maybe RAM rates? What do you see for mm. violent attacks on your staff? Yeah. So look for the quarter February to April 23. We have seen 3,285 incidences of retail crime reported. So that is retail crime where the team have taken the time to sit down and record the event in a tool we use called Aura, a New Zealand tool supported by the New Zealand Police as a method of capturing this information and sharing it with them. That's a 38% increase on the previous year. And do you have any uh, idea actually of how much of your actual total crime figure gets reported? Not accurately. But if you were asking me to guess, I would say this is probably half. Right. Yeah. And why? Because people are busy. Right. You know, running a store is a, a highly transactional event. You know, we have three and a half million shopping visits a week we're supporting. You know, I I think we need to accept there's a level of this where people are just, you know, stopping the issue, grabbing the product back from the person, asking them to leave it to the store, then moving on to the next busy issue. Yep. You know, so this is what's reported. It's, you know, we'll only quote these numbers because I can back it up with some data. Sure. I would, I'm just really confident in saying it's the minimum number. Mm -hmm. Serious incidences such as assault, they're up over a third, 36%. And repeat offenders are responsible for the same 36% of crime. So there's a pattern emerging here, which is telling you a little bit about it. And are you the, affected by REM rates as well? Yes, we are. It, Less, you know, we see less RAM raid type activity on a big store, like a pack and save, you know, it, it's which part of the building would you go after? Yes, um, yes. 
But we certainly do see it in our smaller and regional four squares, mm -hmm. and we see it in our liquor land brand quite commonly. So, you know, probably the way to think about this is the three biggest drivers of this, the biggest activity according to our security partners and specialists. Number one is professional criminals who are stealing to order, organised crime, gang activity. This is, you know, that, that we're seeing this, and you see it in the type of product, high-value meat, high-value health and beauty, products that can be stolen to order and quickly turned to cash or return. Yeah, I saw that in a media um, release, actually. You mentioned that there was one particular offender who stole 31 pieces of premium meats. Yes, over a number of visits, let's call it. Yep. But clearly, you know, working to orders from whatever organised unit they were part of. You know, these have established methods of disposing of the product and turning it into cash. They have systems for doing that. You know, you're not, this is not a spur of the moment activity for that particular part of the top three. The second one is sadly people feeding an addiction. So they're, they're buying product that they can turn into cash very quickly through back channels. And the third is the more recent emergence of this trend of building your personal notoriety by using social media and TikToking yourself doing something, you know, ram raiding a business or breaking into a business or just, and what tend to happen there is the dollar value of the theft is very low, the dollar value of the damage to the store and the immeasurable value of the damage to the feeling of safety of the team is really high. So let's talk about the different types of damage. You obviously have some losses through theft. You mm -hmm. have to invest in uh, safety measures yourself. You have to probably invest a lot more in security guards in your stores. But actually, all of this really pales into insignificance when it comes to the actual feeling of being not not safe in your own store anymore. Yes. So yeah, look, you know, putting numbers on this, you know, we're reluctant to do that because that is not the primary issue for the conversation. The primary issue for the conversation is the safety of our teams and the safety of our customers. You know, when I, I think late last year, we had an incident where so, a customer was stabbed in the Foursquare in St. Helier's which is probably, you know, without, you know, the thing would also say is the percentage of retail crime has no postcode. It is it is pretty everywhere at the same sort of levels. So, you know, so when you think about that, that's a customer in a, a small village part of Auckland by the beach shopping at lunchtime or something and having this happen, just unfathomable, really. So, you know, when we go to cost, we think this year we're seeing about a million dollars a month more of stock loss. But that is a, you know, it's very hard to estimate. And, you know, if I look at the security bill that we know of, it's at least $8 million a year. So it is not difficult to get to $20 million a cost without going too far into this. Then you go to, you know, there'll be the other costs that aren't being measured quite as clearly. So the capital cost of grates and grills and security measures and physical safety. And then I, I've just spent about six weeks on the road doing regional member meetings. So I get to seven or eight locations around the North Island, you know, 40 or 50 owners in the room at a time catching up on the business. We have this conversation and, you know, it is real. They're losing team members who no longer feel safe working in a retail store or parents of kids, you know, and, and it's been a long honoured, you know, your after school job or your university job working in a supermarket was always a, a great thing. Now you've got parents going, I'm not sure if I want my child in that environment. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's a, an industry-wide phenomenon. We've mentioned Marco Hill already, but it's probably your competitors at Countdown and other shops as well. What does the industry actually do about this? Look, I, I think you're right. Firstly, you know, it's, it's obvious that the, you know, there is nothing special about our business from the point of view of this rate. It's just we think we needed to start a leadership conversation about this to see what we can do. 
Look, we're, we're very clear. We have a duty, let alone a legal accountability, to keep our people safe when we know there's a risk. That's the Health and Safety Act. And sometimes balancing that with the Privacy Act is quite an interesting thing to do. They don't play together brilliantly all of the time. But we've got to try and make both happen. And, you know, the Health and Safety Act, the principle is very clear. If we know there's a risk, we have to take all reasonable action to prevent that risk harming our people. So we know there's a risk. You know, the numbers are very clear. At the same Um, time, Chris, you're a cooperative, so you probably cannot be that prescriptive to an owner-operator. You're right. We don't, you know, we can't commit their capital, nor can we determine that they have the capital available to meet every need. But there is a huge willingness to learn best practice, to share ideas, to, you know, bulk purchase if that is a solution, to do all of those things. So this is one where really all of our owners and the support centre of foodstuffs, you know, just have a joint aim of what is everything we can do to keep it safer. So there's physical, you know, there's there's entry and exit, there's control of that, there's those things. There is training and culture. So training people how to de-escalate, how to handle situations, but how not to put yourself in harm's way. That's a really complex thing to do for the average person, knowing exactly how to handle someone who's not in control or is very aggressive. You know, that's really, you're talking about a psychologist level of knowledge and it's not fair to expect teams to have that. And then we do a lot around security personnel and and guards and stuff. But, you know, whether they're a third party or whether we employ them, they're part of our team and they're part of our risk. So we're just as accountable for their safety. So, you know, that's why we want, you know, we we can do those things within our boundaries. We don't fully understand what causes this level of crime. So we've just got to contribute to that conversation. And we're not the experts in what will solve it. But again, we want to contribute to the conversation. And I guess the one good thing's come out of putting this information out is there's now been a bunch of requests for connection and communication and conversation that hopefully we can make a difference with. We've had a fatality this year with a stabbing at a dairy, I think, in Auckland. You, as foodstuffs, haven't had these kinds of cases yet, but I assume you would have gotten close with some of the incidents you were dealing with. Yeah, look, incredibly sad what occurred in the Auckland dairy and the young man that was tragically, you know, had his life taken in a a senseless event. Without being too dramatic, it's just luck that we haven't had something similar because the use of weapons, the presence of that level of aggression, there is no real difference uh, in our stores versus that. Can you give our listeners just an idea of what weapons you're dealing with? I imagine it's knives, it's guns as well. We have had a very small number of armed incidences. We've had plenty of what you would call weapons used. So, you know, baseball bats, pipes, pieces of wood, everything under the sun. You know, of those numbers, 254 of those incidences were trespass orders being breached. Mm-hmm. So the person had been trespassed. And this is why we say technology is possibly a solution, because knowing that that person's coming back into the store and preventing that entry at the door is a good part of keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and there is technology that can support that that process. And we've had over 80 incidences of genuinely disorderly, so so physically violent and disorderly activity. So remind me again, you took your job at Foodstuffs, what, six, seven years ago? 2015, 2015. What was it like when you started? Was there any talk about crime in that kind of way? Not this kind of way. Shoplifting has been a permanent part of the retail landscape. You know, I I think I I would never want to have a tone of acceptance, but I think we've got to understand that's not a new trend. Mm -hmm. 
the ram raiding, the physical violence, the I'm just going to walk out with this trolley, what are you going to do about it? And the level of organized crime, that is, this is new and different. And when did that actually start? When did it really take off? Look, I think, you know, the last three years have built this issue. I won't go to conclusions about what's built it, you know, the combination of, you know, deportations from other countries, you know, what COVID's done to people and employment, the shift in how people, you know, believe they can fund their own living from, from society. Yeah, potentially. One thing, you know, just on police, I just want to be very clear. The police that the resource that they have, they work really hard. And we have no complaint nor issue to raise about the attitude or engagement of the resources that are there. They just don't have the resources to keep up with this level. And potentially the settings around what occurs when these crimes are engaged with, you know, are part of the issue. There is a retail crime unit being formed within the police that has got the right ideas, the right focus, the right effectiveness. It just needs much more resource to keep up and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Now, together with your media release, you also sent a letter to the police minister. You asked for a meeting. Did you get that meeting? We pre-briefed a number of ministers and a number of interested parties. I've, I've had a you know very positive level of response from many who want to meet now and discuss, which is great. So we're just setting, you know, organizing those and seeing what we can do. But, you know, minister, commissioner, assistant commissioner, police, you know, various retail groups, some of the other political groups, various parties are, you know, keen to meet and discuss. So you're happy with uh, the response that, you released, you received? Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm pleased that this data has got that action. That's great. Is that roughly what you expected, what you were hoping for? You would hope, yes. Now, yeah. it's quite unusual for a corporate to actually engage in these matters in such a mm. direct way, especially in an election year. Was that a consideration for you? Would that have potentially held you back from making these issues public, yeah. especially given that we are less than five months away from the election? Mm. It's a really good question because, you know, if anything made us hesitate, it was that we do not want this to be perceived as in any way political. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't. We just have a safety risk to our people and to our customers, and we're accountable at, you know, at primarily a moral and duty level, but also at a legal level, to do something about it. So then you stand back and go, this issue is large, and it's multifaceted, and we can't solve it on our own. So how do we engage all of the right players in a conversation for action that will get change? The data seems to have helped motivate that. So that was, that was the thinking behind the strategy and behind doing it. It's, you know, it, We are accountable to a lot of New Zealanders for providing a safe environment to shop and for providing value in a cost of living time. This focus can improve both. And sometimes, you know, taking a little bit of leadership means you've got to be prepared to stand up and take a few shots, but at the same time, stick to why you're doing it. And we, we'll, we'll try to do that. And good on you. But just on that question, how to solve the issue? I mean, you obviously cannot solve this at all. You're at the receiving end. But How do you think society should actually deal with the growing crime rate? Look, I think everybody's probably spoken about one aspect of what will fix it. Mm -hmm. The issue is everybody individually spoken about one aspect of what will fix it, and it needs a concerted community, for want of a better word, effort. You know, I, I think it's everything from, you know, probably one, one issue that we would just give our clear view on, you know, that we, one media outlet asked me, isn't it just because of the cost of food? Which... 
you know, I, I will push back very firmly on because there is no price at which it is okay to assault our teams. First point I would make. And I don't think anyone would in the cold light of day agree that there was anything that made that reasonable. The second thing is the top three drivers of this crime figures are not people buying, base, you know, stealing basic food to feed a family or stealing nappies or baby food or those things. Those are not things. Third, we're really proud of our effort in helping the people who can't participate in retail right now. We're doing lots on that. So all of those things come together. I think if you come back to what can be done about it, look, it's there's. I think all the basics are identified. It's about supportive families and homes. It's about education. It's about the dignity of work. It's about having people in a position where their ability to earn income from productive jobs equals costs so that they don't feel any other need to access income streams through gang affiliation or other things. It's about dealing with harmful drugs that are causing addiction. It's about having education be attractive and work for people for purpose. And it is about dealing with the cost of living, which means dealing with the cost inputs that are driving the cost of living. It goes, you know, gets us back to a, a, a slogan that I think Tony Blair made popular in the 1990s, being tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, I think people would argue do one or the other, and that's clearly not good enough. You have to do both, and you have yep. to start now with urgency on both. Then I just hope that your media release, which I think is timely and courageous, will get us into a discussion that will hopefully produce some of these policy outcomes, yep. because I think New Zealand needs them. Yeah, and that is, that's our hope and our purpose for doing this. Well, good on you, Chris, and I wish you all the best for your campaign, and I hope that you have fruitful discussions with politicians, especially given this is an election year, that we can fix this problem, because this is not the New Zealand that any of us knew and that nobody mm. really wants to live in, and I yeah. hope that for the sake yeah. of all of us, but especially for yeah. your staff and for your owners, uh, that we will fix yeah. this problem very soon. Yeah, thank you, Oliver, and I think I was at a great event this morning, the opening of our sixth social supermarket and and. One of the one-liners I heard, which really stuck with me, was, you know, if you can make a difference, then do. And that is a wonderful note to end this conversation on. So thank you very much, Chris, and all the best. Thank you. Thank you.